Last week we started a new series called The Disciplines of the Spirit. And the introduction last week, the stress was that the heart of the matter is the heart, that our outward behavior is not necessarily the thing that we should primarily focus on, but instead we should focus on our hearts and having our hearts transformed, and then our outward behavior will flow out of a transformed heart. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Hence, these are the disciplines of the Spirit. These are the things that we do that uh, put the sails up. The illustration used last week was, was as we do these things, we put the sails up on our little boats. Um, we cannot force progress ourselves. We put the sails up and the wind of the Spirit blows and we catch the wind and we see progress and transformation and change in our lives. And one of the ways, one of the essential ways of doing that and one of the disciplines of the Spirit that is just absolutely non-negotiable and essential and regular is meditation on Scripture. So that's what we're looking at this morning, uh, the first of our spiritual disciplines, meditation on Scripture. Now, I'll tell you a wee bit in a minute or two about what meditation is and what it is not, just in case you're starting to get, you're starting to think about what other religions maybe do and getting freaked out a little bit. Let me first of all tell you the importance of this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, we get a picture of what our minds are like before we come to Christ. Paul writes, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So Paul says that, that before we come to Christ, when we are outside of the family of God, we are darkened in our understanding. Our thinking is futile. That means it's useless. It's purposeless. It's aimless. And we are ignorant. And we live in a culture when we are just bombarded almost every waking moment. We are bombarded by information. We live in an age that, that our predecessors know nothing of. We sometimes go back to the Puritans. We go back a couple of hundred years and read about great leaders in the church and read about how they organized their lives and bless them. They are inspiring figures, but we cannot imitate exactly what they did. They never had to answer the phone. They just didn't have the sort of life that we have, and we need to learn in our culture how to get our minds separated from the daily barrage of the world's thinking and get ourselves focused instead on God's truth. When we come to God, our minds and our hearts are just cluttered with lots of false understanding. And I feel sometimes a lot of Christians even still wing it a lot in terms of how they respond to certain issues. They respond from what feels right or what they think is nice instead of responding from an informed understanding of the Word of God. We went through the book of Ephesians a year or so ago, the whole, the whole thing, and whenever I was going through this section of chapter 4, I made the point that wrong thinking leads to wrong living. 
interesting because when you read these couple of verses 17 and 18 and then go on to read verse 19, you will see the sort of life that that comes out of a wrong pattern of thinking. It says in verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Again, it's, but it's the thinking, it's the wrong thinking that comes first. They, they were the wrong living is an outcome of the wrong thinking. Second Timothy chapter 3 is a well-known verse about God's word where Paul is writing to Timothy in his last letter. And at the end of chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture, the whole thing, is God-breathed. Now, there straight off, right from the, the gate, we see that God's word and God's spirit are working together. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture, that's God's word, is God-breathed, that's God's spirit. And the two work together. And when we separate them, we're in trouble. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's another word that we had last week, that concept of training, that these disciplines of the Spirit are the way that we train ourselves for godly living. Now, what is meditation or what is meditation not. It's not, don't be thinking about Eastern religious meditation where you will read about people trying to empty the mind uh, through meditative practices. That is nothing to do with the Christian concept of meditation. Meditation for a Christian is not emptying the mind, it is filling the mind. It's choosing to fill your mind and your heart with truth and to ponder it and to think on it, it's not just emptying your mind of everything. It is not weird. It's not spooky. It's one of those words that just has a little bit of baggage, meditation, but it's not a weird, spooky practice. It just means sustained attention on the Word of God. That's all it is, all right? So to, to get away any, any weirdy thoughts that you have about where we're going this morning, it means sustained attention on the Word of God. And it involves a lot of repetition because what the mind repeats, it retains. What the mind repeats, it retains. The more you read something, the more you think it over, the more you chew on it, the more you pray it back to God, the more you ponder it, the more you will retain it. There's a lovely verse in in Colossians 3. Don't bother turning to it. I'll I'll quote it a few times. You'll get it if you don't know it. But Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Paul doesn't write to the Colossians and say, read your Bible. He says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let it get inside of you and let it have a rich, living, transformative experience within you. So all I'm going to do this morning is is look at a few reasons for why we should meditate on God's Word, why we should give it our attention, and then a few pointers, hints, and tips about how to actually do it. We need truth. Isaiah 59 verse 14 says that truth has fallen in the streets. 
And that very much applies to the age that we live in as well as to Isaiah's day. We live in a culture where you are deemed as being ignorant and intolerant if you claim that something is true. We live in a culture in, in an age that is described as postmodernism, and the, the sort of defining facet of postmodernism is that there is no absolute truth, that what is true for me might not be true for you and for somebody else. Now, that in itself is untrue. That is not factual. That is not right. And we need to meditate on the scripture because in an age that does not value truth, we need to take in the truth of God's word and cling to it, or we'll be knocked about by whatever the latest fad is on the news or in pop culture or whatever. We need the truth about who God is, that we're not just making it up about what we think God should be like or what we'd like him to be like. We need the truth about who he is. And we also need the truth about who we are, made in his image and of immeasurable value and loved by him and redeemed by Jesus. We need to know these truths. So that's a reason to meditate on scripture. We need to be able to hear and discern his voice. Jesus talks about being a shepherd, a good shepherd, whose sheep know his voice. They don't recognize the voice of a stranger. Again, I would say that Christians who do not meditate on the word of God, who do not let it dwell in them richly, they are susceptible, they are vulnerable to hearing the voice of a stranger and being misled by that voice because it sounds convincing. The more we get to know Scripture, the more we think about it, the more we read the words of Jesus and others in the Bible, the more we grow to know His voice and pick out His voice. I could go outside the front of the house this afternoon and I could shout at the livestock across the road and they will just look at me as if I'm mad. But when the farmer goes into the field and shouts, they will all run to him very, very quickly. They know His voice. And to, in order to know the voice of God, we need to know the word of God. There's no other discipline that provides more power and direction for spiritual growth than the study of God's word. And always remember as I go through this that I'm not just talking about reading the Bible, studying the Bible, writing things down about the Bible, listening to tapes or sermons on the Bible. What I'm talking about is using the Word of God as a means of allowing the Spirit of God to come and transform us. I have never known anyone to lead a spiritually transformed, mature Christian life who did not have a life deeply soaked in Scripture. The two go hand in hand. Another reason for meditating on the Word of God is for the purpose of cleansing our minds. Go to, go to Ephesians chapter 5, just to uh, read a verse to make this point. Ephesians 5, at the end of chapter 5, Paul writes about marriage, but he also writes about how marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. He says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. The word of God washes us. 
as we take it in, as we let it dwell in us richly, it goes right into the fiber and fabric of our being and it cleans us. It cleans up our thinking and our actions. And our mind is no longer filled with trash and garbage, but it is filled with God's truth. It is washed. It is cleansed. Another reason for reading God's word and meditating on it, go back to Psalm 119 in the Old Testament. It's the longest one. should be easy to, to land in. Psalm 119. All about God's word from start to finish. And listen to the motivation for reading and meditating on the word of God. Up in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman, how can an old man, how can a child, how can anyone keep their way pure by living according to your word is the answer that the psalmist gives. And verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you get it? He doesn't say, I read the Bible today so that I might not sin against you. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Get it right down into you. Meditate on it. Ponder it. Pray over it. Think about it. Sit in silence just thinking over something from the word of God. Because when you do that, you're hiding the word of God in your heart. You're storing it up that you might not sin against the Lord. Stephen read earlier from Isaiah 55, and I'm going to read from Isaiah 55 as well. So if you're in Psalm 119, head right. We're going to be bungee jumping in and out of the Bible all over the place this morning. In Isaiah 55, the Word of God is compared to food. I like food. We'll talk about food more later. Isaiah 55, verse 2, Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear, come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. That notion that our, the, the life, the health, the well-being of our very souls is contingent on hearing and listening to what God says. Elsewhere, the Bible is, or the Word of God is compared to food in the New Testament. Peter talks about it like milk to a newborn baby. All the nutrients, all the nourishment that it craves and yearns and needs is to be found there. The writer to the Hebrews talks of it as being meat for the mature so that we would know good from evil. God's word also gives us guidance in Psalm 119, 105. It says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We get guidance by meditating on the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now we sometimes relegate that and we say, well, that's just in the context of somebody being born again. They hear the message of Christ Faith arises within them and they respond. And that is the context in which it is written in Romans 10, but I believe it applies throughout our lives. The more we soak ourselves in the word of God, the more our faith will grow as a response. 
It's important in leadership. Whenever Joshua, at the start of the book of Joshua, is being commissioned to take over from Moses, he's told to be strong, he's told to be courageous, but at the heart of everything, he is told, obey the word of God, meditate on it day and night, and that's how you will find success. Meditating on God's word. It's a lovely wee structure in Joshua 1 where you've got be strong and courageous. And then a couple of verses later, you've got be strong and courageous. And right in the middle, you've got meditate on the word day and night. Chew on it. Chew on it. Like a cow chewing the cud. Just keep on chewing over it. And of course, Jesus, as he resisted temptation, and any of us that have walked with God any length of time will know this, the temptation that you face and the power of knowing God's word and being able to draw from that reservoir of God's word in your heart in order to overcome temptation. So those are some some reasons for meditating on the word of God. And let me stress again that this is a discipline of the spirit. In Genesis 1, God speaks and the spirit is over the waters and creation happens, word and spirit. In Ezekiel 37, God speaks through the prophet and the dry bones come together, but they're not alive until the wind of the Spirit blows on them. Word and Spirit together. In Luke chapter 3, whenever Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water, God's voice speaks, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. Word and Spirit together. Do not misunderstand me that you can push the Holy Spirit to one side and just read lots of books and grow and be transformed. You will not. It has to be a work of the Spirit. So some pointers on how to meditate. This might be old hat for some of you, okay? If you've walked with God for a while, you might listen to this and think, well, I've heard all this before. But maybe it'll just renew you. Maybe it'll reinvigorate you in your, in your determination and your desire to meditate more on Scripture. So these are some pointers, some of them practical, just about how to do that. First one, pray. Right? When you open your Bible, be it in the morning, be it in the evening, or sometime in between, when you open your Bible, it takes very few seconds to ask the Holy Spirit to help, to come and reveal God in the Scriptures. There's a lovely prayer in Ephesians 1, that Paul prays for the, the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 1.17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, Holy Spirit, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. It is uniquely in this book that we encounter and come to know God and to know Jesus. So as we open it, there should be just a wee quick bullet prayer, a Nehemiah prayer, just shut up. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Show me something new about God. Show me something new about Jesus. Transform me from within. That spirit of revelation who reveals God to us and shows us what he is like. In Luke 24, we referred to it a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is walking along the road with a couple of disciples and they don't recognize that it's him. This is after the resurrection. And as he goes along the road, it says in verse 27 that he started with Moses 
Does he start with Moses? Let me just check. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. If you think that there are only four books in your Bible about Jesus, you're mistaken. Jesus says Moses. In John 5, Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. (laughs) That's your motivation for reading Exodus because you will learn about Jesus. You will learn about Jesus from reading Genesis, which Moses also wrote. Those five books of Moses, you will learn about Jesus in those books. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, he he also went through the prophets on the road to Emmaus and explained things concerning himself. Isaiah wrote about Jesus. And the more you read and meditate on these scriptures, the more you will know him. He will reveal himself to you. Richard Foster writes, The goal is not the mastery of the text, but the discovery of God through the text. It's not just that you become some academic who knows their way around the Bible and understands all the intricacies of it. It is that you meet God in it. That is the aim of meditation on the scriptures. In John 5, Jesus shows the Pharisees the error of their handling of the scriptures. He says to them in verse 39, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These guys studied God's word day in, day out. They knew it. They memorized it. They taught it. And Jesus says, you think that you will find life just from studying the scriptures. He goes on to say, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If I come to the scriptures and stop short of coming to Jesus through them, I will not receive the life that he intends me to receive. So one of the things to do when we're meditating, when we're reading God's word, is to pray that God would reveal, that the Holy Spirit would reveal the character of God and the character of Christ to us. Second thing, read for transformation, not just for information. Read for transformation, not just for information. You would not go to a restaurant and sit down and read about the nutritional value of the meals. You would not ask the the waiter or waitress to bring you some document that tells you how many calories and how many carbs and how much protein is in a certain meal. And then have the chef come out and explain to you how the meal was cooked and have the owner of the restaurant tell you where the food was sourced, and maybe sit and watch somebody else in the restaurant eat the food and say, my, doesn't that man look like he's enjoying his steak, and then go home. You've got to eat it yourself. It's no good just knowing all about it. The Pharisees knew the word of God, but they didn't come to Jesus. They didn't let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. And it is no good going and learning all about a beautiful meal and then walking away without actually taking it inside of you and making it part of you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So read for transformation. Don't just want to know more. 
come wanting to know Jesus and wanting to know God, not just wanting to know a bit more information about the Bible. Third thing is to resolve that you will be obedient to what you read. It's no good me studying the story of Joseph and his brothers and and looking at the relationships between them and the things that Joseph got wrong and the things that he got right and how the brothers treated him and looking at how he wonderfully forgave them and provided for them. It's no good knowing all of that and then choosing to hold a grudge against a brother or sister in Christ. That is utterly pointless. It doesn't matter if you are the most accomplished scholar in the world when it comes to the story of Joseph. If you don't then forgive somebody who has wronged you, you've missed it. You don't know the story of Joseph at all. You haven't let it dwell in you richly. You haven't allowed it to transform you. You just know it on the surface. We've got to come to God's word with a resolute decision. Whatever I read, whatever I study, whatever I learn, what I meditate on, I will obey it. Not just know about it, but actually live it out. Fourth thing is to meditate on a brief passage. Stefan mentioned earlier his reading plan. I use a reading plan. I recommend a reading plan. And I recommend that you aim to get through the Bible once a year if possible. But do not be enslaved by your reading plan. Don't look at it. Here's mine. I made it up myself and I'm going to change it this year as well. There it is. Don't, don't just look at your reading plan and think, well, there's four chapters there and I can only read those four chapters and I can't read something else. Don't look at your reading plan and see it as a tick box exercise that you have to rush through and think, yes, I've got through my readings for today. Richard Foster again says, it is important to resist the temptation to pass over many passages superficially. A reading plan in the wrong hands with the wrong attitude, that's what you'll do. Our rushing reflects our internal state, and our internal state is what needs to be transformed. When it comes to reading scripture, the key question is not how much, but how we will actually read. And in reading for transformation, we have to go slowly. It was good to have a reading plan, good to cover three or four chapters a day and the whole Bible in a year. I highly recommend it. It's also good to have somewhere in that, somewhere that you slow down. Either you allow God to slow you down in one of those chapters or you're maybe reading something else slowly alongside your your main reading plan. But you've got to slow down if you're going to meditate on the scriptures. Reading plans are really fabulous in terms of times that you will hear God speak to you and you'll sit back and say, well, I couldn't have made that up. I didn't go looking for that. That's what was on my reading for today. For example, my reading for today is Colossians 3, which contains the verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that brought me a lot of encouragement this morning as I got up and I read that and I thought that's really good because that's in today's sermon and that's nice. So reading plans from that point of view are really good, but don't think that there's a big fridge in heaven with a star chart on it and every time you finish a chapter, God puts a star on the chart for you. That's not the point. But I tell you, every time you meditate on Scripture and you allow Scripture to transform you, then you can be sure that God is saying, well done. 
well done. That's my boy. That's my girl. Transformed by my word. Not just trying to get through massive chunks of it for the sake of it. So take it slow. Meditate on a brief passage. Take one thought with you through the day if you can. If you're reading three or four chapters or even one chapter, try to grasp one thing, one concept, one verse, and just take it with you and graze on it. Just just, just go and ponder it, mull it over, memorize it, whatever it takes. Think about it. We read in, in Luke chapter 2 about Mary after the birth of Christ that she she kept all these things in her heart and pondered them. Love that. She just pondered. She just turned it over, thought about it. And as you do that, you will find God will speak more and more and God will transform you more and more. Meditation, by definition, has to be slow. You can't do it quickly. It is not possible. It is chewing. It is eating a fine meal. And you know what I think of fast food. You cannot do a good meal fast. All right. Another thing you need to do with the word of God is ask questions. What is God asking me to focus on? What does he want me to learn? Why do I need to hear this? How do I respond to this? Is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Go to Colossians chapter 2, please, just to illustrate that. Asking questions, asking God, why is my attention being drawn to this? So yesterday morning, I was trying to practice what I preach, and I was quieting myself. I was sitting in the front room at home, Um, and just reading through my passages for the day. And I had read a couple of chapters from Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and read through them and thought, well, I I know these, and I was maybe reminded of a couple of things or whatever that I had forgotten a couple of details. And then I got to Colossians chapter 2, and I started to read it. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. At that point, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, stop, just stop. Don't blast through the chapter. Set your reading plan down and your pen that you use to tick after you've read a chapter. Just stop. And rather than rushing on, because I'm prone to rushing, I'm prone to hurry, I'm prone to sitting in the morning and reading my Bible and thinking of the things that I have to do later in the day, I stopped. And I went back and looked at it again. And I started to ask questions. Say, why here? Why do I feel that I need to stop here? And I began to just chew over verse 2 again. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, and have the full riches of complete understanding that they may know the mystery of God. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. And a very simple thing happened. I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to pray that for the church that you lead. Pray that for the people in the church. Pray it for the church as a whole. And so I prayed, Father, 
would you cause this church to be encouraged in heart? Would you cause individuals within it to be encouraged in heart? Would you cause us to be united in love and to have the full riches of complete understanding that we would know the mystery of God, namely Christ? And I just began to pray that. And that was that. But it was just because I was in a position where I could slow down, where I could listen and just feel the guidance of the Spirit of God saying, take that and pray that over my church that you lead. So that's an example of asking questions, of slowing down and of pondering something and responding to it. I then wrote it down as well. Now, journaling is something that I'm not that good at. That really is a discipline that I have to work on. But I think it is exceptionally important to put your thoughts on paper, as brief or as long or a verse or or anything. But that act of just writing something down is really, really good for remembering it. And I would encourage you as you meditate on Scripture, as you read through a couple of chapters a day and one verse hits you, write it down. Because you maybe come back on it later in the day and think about it. Or you maybe look back through your journal three, four weeks later and you'll see it and you'll start to think about it then. Another thing to do with Scripture is to memorize it or to revisit statements from it that will help you whenever you need it most. I've taken great encouragement over recent years in the Psalms, just reading over and over again about David especially when he was either struggling with Saul or struggling with Absalom and reading how he wrote and how he prayed in the Psalms. Keep going back. Don't, don't, be, uh, don't, don't feel that going back to the same place over and over again is somehow immature Christianity or immaturity in handling the word. Use your reading plan. Cover the whole story. But as you need to go back and just sit in familiar places and be encouraged, do that. Memorize it if you can. Another point, and again, it's something I've mentioned loads of times, so I'll not linger on it, but make a movie. In your mind, make a movie. What does it look like? What, what is the scene? What does it sound like? Where are the cameras positioned? What music is playing in the background? What emotions are being stirred in your audience as they are watching the movie that you're making of the scene that you're reading about and meditating on? Allow it to come to life. Can you see the woman caught in adultery? Can you see her thrown down at the feet of Jesus, ashamed? Can you see the guy standing with the rocks, ready to start chucking the matter? Can you see Jesus getting down and, and just drawing in the sand whatever he did? Can you see the, the rocks dropping out of the hands of the Pharisees and the religious leaders as one by one they start to walk away and then there's nobody there? Can you see it? Use your imagination. God gave it to you. Another thing, and I'm I'm drawn to a close, is it's a story. This is one of the most important things, I believe, for enjoying and being drawn into the Scriptures. It is a story. It is not fiction, but it is a story. It is a true historical account of God and His people written over a long period of time by a lot of different authors, but it is a story. Read it like a story. Richard Foster, again, in his book Life with God, says, our personal stories are caught up in the greater story of God's transforming work with humanity and creation. 
I find some theology desperately boring, really unsatisfying to read because it's just here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. Just, just, just snippets and little bits pulled in from all over the place and you're not getting the full picture. You're not getting the full story. The Bible is a story. It's not a list of commands. It's not a list of rules. It's a story. Read it like a story. Discipline yourself to read it from start to finish rather than wee bits here and there. Take a gospel even. Start simple and take one of the gospels and just read it the whole way through in order and follow the story. And then expand that out and read the whole New Testament and follow the story. And then expand it out and read the whole thing. Because I'm adamant that you will not fully understand Jesus if you don't understand how he fits into the story of Israel in the Old Testament. If you are, are not, you know, if you're not clued in in terms of who Israel is, you're, you're going to miss Jesus. You're going to miss a lot of what he did and why he did it. You need to know the story. Again, using the illustration of food. Right? A good meal is good because there's lots of different flavors coming together. A few years ago, Linda and I were eating in an expensive restaurant because somebody gave us a voucher. And we sat in this restaurant in Belfast, which was just you know, beautiful um, and classy. And one of those meals where you're there for a long time, you're there for a long time before, and the meal's a long time, and you linger. And got fillet steak, and there was a sauce on the plate with the steak. And the sauce was brown, but it definitely wasn't brown sauce. And I was, you know, there's just little, I could still see it. There were three little blobs of this brown unknown sauce on the plate. And I remember cutting off a little bit of the fillet and touching it to, the, to this sauce and eating it. And my taste buds just had an absolute blast. And I remember thinking, what is that? What is that flavor? I recognize that. I know what it is, but I just can't put a name to it. And I said to Linda, have you tried that, that sauce? And, and she tried it and she, she thought the same. And we were sitting there for a minute or two, just mesmerized by how all these flavors came together. And then suddenly it dawned on us, it's chocolate. The chef had actually put chocolate sauce on the plate with the fillet steak, which sounds like madness, but it was incredible. Flavors together. I love a meal that's heaped up with fresh vegetables from the garden and all the flavors together. You don't, you know, sit down to dinner and have a single shallot placed in front of you and eat the shallot. And then a couple of minutes later, have a half a potato set down and eat that. And then a few minutes later, a leaf of cabbage appears. That's not how it works. You have to have all of it mixed in together. When you tease it apart, you miss the beauty of the whole thing all coming together. And it's the same with the Bible. When we fragment it and pull it into a wee verse for this and a verse for that and a half a verse for this, we miss the beauty of the whole big story. Read it as a story. As a church, lots of us have been working through uh, a series called Reframe from Regent College in Vancouver. It's on the web and it's free. And we're, we're about seven or eight episodes in. It's been a good journey. 
And in the trailer for Reframe, Rick Watts says, one of the things we're trying to do here is inculcate God's story in you so deeply that when something happens, you just instinctively react with the character of God that's expressed in that story. You don't have to think about it because that's who you are. It's so deep inside of you, that's just where you come from. Once we get God's story so deep inside of us, we find ourselves instinctively reacting in life in a way that mirrors and reflects the character of God. And the final thing just comes from a title of a book. I was sitting last night in the study and I glanced to one side and I saw a book by Gordon Fee. And it's a collection of essays, but the title of the book is Listening to the Spirit in the Text. Listening to the Spirit in the Text. As you hear and read the Word, what is the Spirit saying to you? In Genesis 1, when the Word and the Spirit work together, there is order brought in from chaos. Phil Wickham has a line in one of his songs, simple line, who brings our chaos back into order? If your heart is a bit chaotic, I would encourage you, meditate on the Word of God. By doing so, you're putting up the seals that will allow the wind of the Spirit to come and fill the seals and bring transformation and bring order where there is chaos. I'm going to set you a homework. I'm not allowed to set homeworks anymore because it's nearly July, but I'm going to set you one. And the homework is this. Practice meditating on 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody knows what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. Read at weddings, it's about love. But it's not primarily about the love of a husband and a wife, although the principles within are certainly very helpful. It is about love between people in the body of Christ, read in the context of the whole letter. And 1 Corinthians 13 starts off basically with a few verses that say, it doesn't matter what we can do, if we don't have love, we don't have anything. We speak in tongues all day long, prophesy all day long. If you don't love your brother or sister, forget it. And in verse 2, if I can fathom all mysteries and if I have all knowledge and a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. The test of whether you've really got the Bible is are you showing love to others? Not your knowledge, not how much of it you can quote from memory during a long prayer in a prayer meeting. But is it actually dwelling in you richly and transforming you so that you're showing love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? For all the knowledge in the world, Paul says, it is useless. It is nothing if it's not transforming the heart to show love. And I would tell you to particularly meditate on verses 4 to 8. That's not long. Now, I don't care what age you are. So kids listening to me, you can do this too. Take those verses 4 to 8 and just sit down. Maybe read them every day for the next week and just think about them. Nothing will transform your relationships with other people like taking 1 Corinthians 13 
and printing it on a sail and hoisting up that sail and asking the Holy Spirit to come and blow in it. Just listen to this and think about your relationships with others. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I love this one. It keeps no record of wrongs. If you hold something against somebody from a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you're keeping record of wrongs. You're not being loving and all the Bible knowledge in the world is of no use to you. You need to let it dwell in your heart richly. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Meditate on that this week. Because when you meditate on that and you start to feel impatient with somebody, you'll start to think, love is patient. I am not reflecting the character of God with how I'm behaving. Either I need to change my behavior or I need to repent of my behavior. I need to apologize for my behavior, but I need to stop pretending that I'm something I'm not. Love is patient. Love doesn't hold grudges. Meditate on that. Allow that to transform your attitudes to other people, whether they're people that are close to you that you see every day or people that are distant from you, but for some reason you you feel tension when you think of them. Allow the word of God to dwell in you richly and transform you. The first psalm begins, Blessed is the man or the woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water. There's the Spirit, Word and Spirit. Like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in due season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So, first discipline of the Spirit, learn to slow down, and meditate on the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God bless you. Do your homework, and uh, hopefully it will transform your heart. Amen. Steph, can you pray, buddy?